welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So today is April 2. Yesterday being... Oh, it was April Fool's, was it? Did anyone get up to any pranks? What we used to joke about is becoming the reality now in the world that we live. It's as though the Bible was written just for us living today. God is so clever. He knows what's going to happen. End from the beginning, beginning from the end. He exists outside of time. And if you just take a snapshot over the last few years, you would have thought to yourself, this whole world is an April Fool's joke. Can you imagine 20 years ago saying in the year 2020 to 2023, certain things would be happening and you'd be saying, up your nose with a rubber hose, mate. That is never going to happen. <laughs> Think about all this gender dysphoria going on in the world. Boys are girls and girls are boys. Men are entering into women's sporting competitions. People are confused now about what gender they are. Hey, if, if anyone ever comes to me and they're confused, I'll just say, all you've got to do is real simple. Just look down and you'll work it out. Just, it's not hard. It's not hard. But what's happening is the world is discipling us into a sense of confusion. And we are getting confused between black from white, right from wrong, left from right. It's absolutely ridiculous. So the purpose of the enemy is to confuse us. And also to provoke fear, let's think about this virus over the last few years. It's all about a provocation of fear. And every time you turn the telly on, it's fear porn popping through. Trying to incite and enhance fear in us to sell you a faulty product. It's, it's the enemy really, it's not just about a virus or a vaccine. It's, it's far deeper than that. The enemy is using that to fearmonger us. We call that fear exploitation. The enemy uses things like gender dysphoria, uses things like a virus to exploit us. Shall we not talk about wars or rumors of wars? What about the Ukraine war? Awkward silence, bit of chatter there. It's all about division. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, the enemy is using these things to divide us and also to distract us. But we've got to be smarter. This is nothing new to what the Bible was pointing to thousands of years ago. And we've got to remember we are not going to despair by these things. Even if these things happen, our focus is on Jesus. This is all just footnote commentary. Because remember, we know who knows the future and we know who's in the future and we know who is the future. And that's Jesus. And what about as a, to throw another spanner in the works, let's try and indict a president. I don't care what you think about Donald Trump. 
all of a sudden, right now, at this moment, let's distract some people or let's throw another spanner into the works that the enemy may use to get our eyes off Jesus or get the world into a greater sense of anger. Notice the anger happening, particularly in the States. And hatred, that's a repercussion of what's happening. And truth be told, we as believers are in the world, but we're not of the world, meaning we, we exist and we cannot turn a blind eye to what's happening. Important for us to make a stand for truth and righteousness and of justice. But I tell you what, our hope is not in the world. But the enemy is using what's happening around about us. It's so important for us to keep our eyes out on what's going on, but not keep our eyes fixed on what's going on. The enemy will use things like confusion and despair and distraction and fear and anger and hatred to provoke us to a different reality than that of Jesus and what he's done for us. He's done more than enough for us. It matters less about what happens out there. It matters more about what happens in here. Perhaps this morning is just a reminder that Jesus is still sitting on the throne and he is cool, calm and collected. He's done all he needs to. He is at rest right now. And where are we? We are at rest in him. We are hidden with Christ in God, with him where he is, we are also. I felt this morning, let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 and 12. You don't have this, uh, Jael, but I will read it. See how quickly you can pull it out, actually. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 from the ESV. 12, verse 11 and 12 says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. His time is short. Satan's time is short. Why Why is he doing what he's doing? He's mad because he knows his his time is short. His days are numbered. So he's on a rampage at the moment. And the only rampage that he's on in any case is the rampage to which God allows him to be on. He's the devil, but he's God's devil. He's on God's leash like a dog. God's got him sorted out. God's pegged him. He's just barking at the moment. That's all he's doing. It's funny that it's the the smallest dogs that make the the loudest bark. Have you noticed that? I've got a, I've got a, a medium to large size Labradoodle who when a, someone comes to the house, an intruder perhaps, I'm confident that that dog, Violet Gabriella Fernandez, <laughs> that's, that's her name, that's her name. She'll go up and lick that intruder to death. I have a small little dog next door. And all we hear through that, devil's like a little dog, making a lot of noise. 
We are like the stable secure. We don't need to bark. We're at peace. We're experiencing joy. The enemy will do what he can to try and persuade us to give up our peace. He cannot take it, but he'll try to persuade you to give it up. And in the world at the moment, there will be opposition, there will be oppression, but we've got to be smart because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. And he wants us to not just look forward to him coming back, but to be ready. And my question this morning, is there oil in your lamp? Is there oil in your lamp? He's coming back for a praying church, not just a, a playing church. Because we can, we, we, we can insert the hallelujahs at the right time. We can raise the hands at the right time, but our hearts could still be far from Him. He wants us to be expectant, to anticipate His return and to be ready. He's coming back. So don't give in to the liar in Revelation it says that he is a deceiver of the nations. It tells us in the gospel that he is the father of lies. And he is looking to whisper sweet nothings into your ear to deceive and distract and to cast you into despair. He can't do it. He can't win with us because we are God's children and our eyes are fixed on him. It's important for us to understand who our adversary is. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 to 9. Do you have it there, Jean-Luc? Oh, you do. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Next verse, please, and then we're going to come back. Resist him. Firm in your faith. How do you resist him? Be firm in your faith. Firm. Not double-minded, not unstable in your ways, but firm in your faith, and your faith is in God. Don't have faith in faith. Have faith in him. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let's go back to the previous verse. This is really important for us to understand. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. Think about that for a second. Look at that imagery. He's not your friend. He's your adversary. He's not just an acquaintance or someone you once know and you're trying to avoid. He's your adversary. And we can try to put our heads in the sand and ignore him. And maybe if we ignore him, he'll leave us alone. That doesn't change the fact that he is your adversary. He's an opponent. And he's looking like a roaring lion, he prowls around seeking someone to devour. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. That's to people like us. He's saying, be watchful and sober-minded. Because Satan, the devil, is your opposition. You've got to know your opposition because I tell you what, you know he knows you. He's not just been around a couple of months. He's been around a while. So he understands human thinking. He understands human philosophies. And I think this morning I really felt encouraged to go back to uh, a passage 
that tells us a little bit about the, uh, um, uh, Satan in Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick up on a few points from this passage. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. We're going to read that through. In fact, I've got Nazareth. If you can read that for me, just come and grab the microphone, please, Naz. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. I want you to pay attention, if you can, about what you may learn about Satan, or in this context here, we read about demons. Demons who are uh, under the authority of Satan. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shuttles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he always was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the man who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting back in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis about how, what Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Here we see a man who had an inhabitation of a demon, or actually we find that there are many demons here. And uh, your version might say demonized, which is a general word, but in this case, he was inhabited, many of the demons living inside of him. Now, it's important for us to stipulate, I, we don't contend that for those that are Christians that have the Holy Spirit living in them, that demons would also live in you, would inhabit you. However, we believe as Christians that uh, demons can harass, can oppress, can afflict, they can bother us. Perhaps you've been on the experience, uh, you've experienced that on the other end of that, where you've been harassed, 
uh, by demons. Here though, this man is not yet converted. He is unregenerate at this point. And for whatever reason, we find him living amongst the tombs. The tombs actually, as a footnote to that, um, was considered unclean, an unclean area. Tombs were outside city areas. And uh, Jewish people in particular um, would consider that to be, um, um, as I said, unclean or an unclean region. Dead people and living people just don't touch. That would make a clean person unclean. That's what would be believed. Also, you would see here there's an area uh, where there are pigs, swine. And for Jewish people, are pigs clean or unclean? Unclean, right. Now, just prior to this, though, we see that Jesus and the disciples get onto a boat, cross um, the lake, and then what happens there is there is a storm, isn't there? They get to this place, and as soon as it says, as soon as Jesus landed, something took place in that area. And this is what, uh, if you're taking notes, write down some of these. I'm going to throw some words at you. The first couple of words I want you to take note of is, um, oppression and destruction. Oppression and destruction. Oppression and destruction clearly is what um, demons are trying to achieve. Let's go back to what's happening in the world at the moment. The demonic realm is looking to oppress and destroy humanity. Looking to destroy and oppress humanity. As soon as we move from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of light, we become even bigger targets. But we also become threats. And so we see that the MO of the enemy is to oppress, oppress and destroy. And let's check this out. In verse 3 to 5, it says, it's really quite interesting. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. So he had a supernatural strength. Okay, It wasn't just physical human strength. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. They're up for oppression and destruction. Check out verse 13. When Jesus gave permission, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in that sea. Satan's end goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. When I find myself stuck in a situation through life, I sometimes forget, hang on a second, this is not just an earthly battle going on here. The battle's in the heavenlies. Why do I so easily forget that? It's as though I remember it, and then I forget about it, and then I try to sort it out here, or here, instead of here. And I, I'm getting sucked in again to the ways of this world. The enemy is trying to distract us, to dissuade us away from that reality, which in fact is the greater reality. So in John 10, when Jesus says 
the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's strictly speaking about false teachers, but that, of course, comes under the demonic realm. So it, it is also applicable, globally speaking, to the demonic realm. Your adversary is trying to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. But may you not be naive. May we not be naive to that reality. I'm not going to spend too much time on that because we spent time on it last week at the conference. But it's really important for us to understand oppression and destruction is what the enemy is after. Here are another couple of words you can write down. Justification and position. Justification and position. Demons are looking for reasons. Here we see that there is a location, a geographical location. This is why I believe it's not just an accident. When Jesus is about to get to this place in Gerasenes, there is a storm brewing on the very sea just as he gets there. And so as he does in the heavenly, he speaks out, peace be still. He's really just declaring out of his mouth what he is existing having existing in, in his own spirit. He, he was at rest inside. He was at peace inside. So what came from his mouth, that authority he was also living in. So he takes authority over what's happening in the physical realm, in the heavenly physical realm with the storm. He then crosses over to the area where there, is a, there, are, there are tombs there. There's a cemetery that's there. And then he confronts the demonic. And watch what the demons asked for. They're, they're looking for territory. It says here in verse 10, He begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. They wanted to stay in that area. And there was a great herd of pigs that was there feeding on the hillside. And they begged Jesus saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. For whatever reason, there was a territorial group of spirits there with this person. The word legion can be interpreted as regiment, which means many. Some scholars say that could refer to 2,000. A regiment was 2,000 soldiers. Some would argue that it's 6,000. Either way, there was one man who came running to Jesus, fell down at him, and then what happened? there was this voice that came from the demonic. What would you do with us? Don't torture us because they recognized authority. For whatever reason, this man was demonized and you saw the destruction that was happening to him. They couldn't restrain him. He was cutting himself. He was yelling. He was outside of his own mind. He was insane. We see later the transformation that happens. We see him sitting down, clothed, in right state of mind. And other people were freaked out when they saw that transformation. But my question for us as believers is this morning, are we being harassed by a demon or two? Are we being afflicted? Have we given the enemy reason for it? Is there a stronghold perhaps? Now the caveat is I think sometimes what we can do is we give Satan too much glory and too much credit for our own stupidity. Maybe you're not being afflicted. Maybe you're not demonized. Maybe you're just being a bit of a jerk. 
the decisions you're making are moronic? I don't know. But maybe not. And we've got to, we've got, this is why it's important for us to have a close relationship with Jesus, a fresh walk with Him, that His Spirit can speak to us. Because there might be times where we err a little bit, where we sin a little bit, where we open the door perhaps. Have you opened the door to the enemy? And as I said last Saturday in one of the sessions, for my girls, they like the privacy in their own bedrooms. And what they like to do is they go into their own bedrooms, they want to close the door so their other sisters can't get in there. And all one of the girls have got to do is put their foot in the door. And what happens then? They can't close the door. They can then pry in, squeeze in, and bother each other. The question remains for us, have we left the door open? Have we left the door open? Is there something in your life where you have allowed perhaps a foothold? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, don't give Satan a foothold. In that context, he's talking about anger prolonged anger which can be a foothold have you given the enemy a foothold a reason to harass or afflict because it could be the case that we're asking and and praying and believing for deliverance but we've still left the door open are we still sinning is there a stronghold perhaps let's check out uh, 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 I'll go verse 3 not verse 4 2 Corinthians. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Think about that. We have divine power, really? Yeah, we do. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We have divine power to destroy strongholds. We have divine power to destroy strongholds. So Satan and the demonic realm, they're on the pursuit of, to have a reason to bother us, to harass us, to afflict us. How, how can a stronghold start in us? How does it start? How do we give the enemy possibly a, a foothold? Here are some entry points. I'll just, give, I'll just give a few. Unhealed wounds. Unhealed wounds, that's one unhealed wounds perhaps someone has been wounded incredibly but there's been a lack of healing and if there are unhealed wounds that stay there it can fester have you ever had an infection in your body and just get worse and worse and worse see what happens with an unhealed wound can bring about infection the enemy looks for those vulnerabilities in us to try and just wedge his way in 
foot in the door. An unhealed wound. Have you got any unhealed wounds that perhaps you need to bring to Jesus? Here's another possibility. Uh, involvement in, in the occult. That's another way of opening the door. What do I mean by that? Tarot cards. Horoscopes. Widgie boards. Palm readings. Fortune telling. The Bible's pretty clear to avoid these sorts of things. Let's not open the door. Oh, but it was just an innocent bit of fun I was just doing. I just wanted to see what, what would happen. I just wanted to know my future a little bit. No, come on. We know Jesus. He can show you something. Why muck around with the opposition? Because when we start mocking, mucking around with the opposition, we're starting to deal on his terms now. And he says, okay, you've come into my world a little bit now. You've given me a bit of a reason, a justification, perhaps a position. In this context here in Mark, it was a location. And whatever the reason was for that man, we don't know exactly. But there would have been a reason that he was demonized. So one way of entry could be unhealed wounds. Another one perhaps is uh, occult involvement. And another one is continued sin and uh, impenitence or non-repentance. Sin. Sin's actually a really big one. When we are born again, are we free from our sin or not? We are. The Bible's pretty clear that we're not to continue in that sin anymore. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Mindful of time here. I'll read verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Watch this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Before I read on, is he talking to believers or unbelievers? Believers, people like us. So it says this, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Anyone been guilty of slandering someone else before? Don't put your hand up. Okay, I'll read on. Obscene talk from your mouth. Anyone here? I'll read on. Sorry. Don't lie to one another. Awkward. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, which is with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What's he saying there? You once walked this way, don't do it anymore. You are now, just be who you are now. You don't need to try and be a Christian, just be one. Just be who you are. A fish naturally will just swim because it's a fish. 
Well, now we're a new creation. Let's just swim in His grace, baby. He's good. So where there is sin and when the Holy Spirit shows it to you, bring it to the cross, thank Him for forgiveness, change your mind on it and move on. That's it. I don't, I, I don't understand how, personally, let me just rant a little bit. I don't understand how if we are being moved from glory to glory, we can still be mucking around with sin that we should have overcome 10, 20, 30 years ago. We're still playing with it. And I'm not talking about, I don't want to do this and I'm struggling. It's, oh, I can't be bothered. I'm going to keep doing it. Ah, oh, it's only sin. That's, that's not the language or the ethos or the value of, of, of what's in us. When we struggle with sin, I'm talking about if we struggle to put it to death and we really want to put it to death, but we're struggling, that's different because that's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit working with us to put sin to death. I'm talking about the desire in us to not care. Oh, I don't care. No, I don't care about lying and stealing and cheating and swearing. I don't care about pride. I don't care about arrogance. I don't care about any of that stuff. Ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. That's not right. God's children grow up and we put those things behind us. And as we continue to revel in that sin, we are opening the door to the evil one. Amen or out? But I tell you what, we all sin, every single one of us. And there, there is not one person better than another in this room. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we giving it to Jesus? Here's a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther knew this very well. I'll put this on the screens. It says, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know... One who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where He is, there I shall be also. So Martin Luther had a revelation, an awareness of his sin, but he had an awareness that that had been taken care of. And he was constantly working with the Holy Spirit to overcome. Are you working with the Holy Spirit to overcome? Let's not be indifferent to sin because God is not. The final thing that I want to point out before we finish, I'll ask the musos to come. Here are a couple of words to finish with. Recognition and submission. And that, of course, is to Christ's authority. Recognition and submission. It says in verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons knew their place. They knew their place. They had this guy sorted out. They had the whole region sorted out. But when Jesus came to the scene, they knew what was going on. In verse 10, it says, And Jesus did something really interesting here. Now, after he begged earnestly not to send them out of the country, he sent them to the pigs. So he gave them, verse 13, I love this, 
Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits, plural, came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned them. Rushed down. They were, it's all downhill. The enemy's all about taking you downhill and drowning you. Jesus gave permission. The only work that the enemy can do is that which Jesus allows. Because Jesus is the boss. He's the boss. Now have a guess what? Jesus lives in us. So we now have authority given to us to overcome. Let's go to final verse. Let's go to Luke, please. Chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're, 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 they're dealing with the demonic, and the demonic are responding, and they're respecting, and they're revering the authority of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Pause right there. That same authority, we understand He's given it to us. Jesus has given us the authority. He's given you the authority. Not only have you got the, the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's going on, but He's given you the authority to deal with it. So we, we can have confidence that we need spend less time asking God to come down and spend more time realizing God saying, hey, I've sent you. Are we waiting on God or is He waiting on us? So let's be His life. Let's be His light. Let's be His love. We have all we need for life and godliness. Verse 20 says, Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the greater miracle. Not just that the demons follow or listen, but that we're saved and set free. And check out, oh, I love this story. We're going to finish with this. Okay. So this whole story with this, this, this man that was afflicted, that was demonized, we see starting off with uh, oppression and destruction. But how does it finish? With transformation and liberation. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into a scene, He brings about transformation and liberation. Where there is oppression and destruction, there is hope for each of us. He brings about transformation and liberation. Do you know what I love about the end of that passage? It says, they began to beg Jesus, these are the other people that were there, um, to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him I've got that underlined begged him that he might be with him what did, what, what did he want? he just wanted to be with Jesus <laughs> he just wanted to be with Jesus he didn't say I want to do great things for you no, he probably did he just wanted to be with Jesus but then what happened was Jesus said, no, stay here. Go to Decapolis. 
which is about a a 10-city region, and tell them. So he becomes this amazing evangelist. Can you imagine the people that knew of this man that was bound, that couldn't be restricted, who was once demonized, who who had a testimony? Hey, that's the guy that lived and and, and he lived with the tombs and he he, he couldn't, we couldn't bind him up, but now we see him unbound, unshackled, unchained, totally at liberty. Look at this guy, what happened? He's got clothes on now. Look at him. He's totally sane now. That's the testimony. Do you know what's beautiful about Jesus? He doesn't just want servants or slaves. He wants liberated sons and daughters. That's what He wants. And His heart for you and for me and for His people, for humanity, is liberty. How's that going to happen? That's through us. This morning as we finish, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring some freedom. I'm unsure what, uh, what restraints or constraints you have or perhaps have been put on you. Maybe it's a physical, you're feeling physically bound up in your body. It could be sickness, it could be financial, it could be relational, it could be emotional, maybe it's spiritual. You know the one who can best deal with this is Jesus and His authority, He can do it. I've seen Him do it. I believe He wants to do it in this community in this season. Would you stand with me, please? The beautiful thing about this story, I was just taking note of this uh, last week when I was looking. Who's the ultimate one that would end up naked, isolated, outside of the town, amongst the tombs, shouting out in desperation. Who, who's that a picture of? Who, who hung on a cross for us? That was Jesus. That was Jesus. And He went through that so that we could experience freedom. The hero of this story is not that man. The hero of this story is not Satan or his fallen angels. The hero of the story is Jesus. He's the hero. It's about Him and His authority. And this morning, is before we finish, I just want to tap into that. And I want to pray for liberty. If you could just, for the next few minutes, let's just make some space. If you've got to get your children, that's fine. But let's just make some space for liberty. If you're comfortable, why don't you raise your hands toward heaven. Father, we come to you in the name that matters, the only name that matters, the name of Jesus. We come in that person, through that authority, in the nature, the character of Jesus. There is no greater name than that. And right now we just surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we are over superficial. We're over that. We're over status quo. We're over that. We ask that you would raise a standard in us. There would be a glorious standard. Lord, we want to live lives where you are glorified and the enemy is terrified. And we pray that that happens through us. 
Lord, that we would be a people that would not shrink back, that we would not fold back, that we would not ever take our eyes off You. But we ask, Lord, that You would be honoured and glorified. And in particular, we pray for freedom in this house, in this room right now. We declare that the captives be set free now. For those of us that are wrestling and struggling with addiction, where we're struggling with issues of the heart and greed. Lord, for those of us that are wrestling with immorality, of adultery, where there's rebellion, where there is strife, where there is jealousy, where there is envy, where there is fear, where there is despair and distress deep within, we ask for your life to come. The person and the presence of Jesus, would it now inhabit us that we would experience you? We declare your life and blessing over every soul in this room. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.